Hi, I'm Regina Boyd, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist and Licensed Mental Health Counselor, and your host of the Connecting Out Loud podcast. Here we talk about connections with our families as they relate to our mental health and Catholic faith, all while connecting you with those you love the most. Thanks for joining me for this episode. Let's dive in. Thanks for connecting out loud with me today, friends. So this podcast episode, I'm actually going to be sharing with you a talk that I gave on Facebook on helping teens navigate anxiety. And so throughout this, you're going to hear me possibly say some strange things, like if you're listening live, push one. If you're watching the replay, push two. Uh, tell me in the comments. I'll be saying things like that. So I just wanted to give you a heads up so you know what you're listening to when it comes up. And afterwards, we will still have time for the mental health tip and the Q&A at the end. So I hope you stay tuned. I'm really excited to share this with you. I think it's a very important topic for parents and anyone who works with children in general or is in close contact with teens. So give a listen and I can't wait to hear what you think. All right. If you're with me, let me know that you're watching. Put a one if you're watching live. Put a two if you're watching the replay. But tonight we're going to talk about anxiety and how to help your teen navigate anxiety and worry. And I mean, think about it. Anxiety is already stressful enough to deal with ourselves, let alone helping somebody else do it. So we're going to talk about um, how to recognize anxiety first and then what you can do about it, especially in guiding your teens um, of navigating that situation because it's pretty tough. First of all, with teens, I would say the symptoms can show up a little bit differently. Of course, there's some obvious ones like worry and irritability. A lot of people know about that, but what a lot of other people don't realize is sometimes anxiety can show up as tension or tenseness, muscle tension. Um, It can also show up as butterflies in the stomach, just a feeling of uneasiness or just that feeling you get, that sinking feeling. um, So if you ever hear your kids talking about a sinking feeling or a sense of dread, that might be a potential sign that they're experiencing some anxiety. Now, let me give you a caveat first before we get into this too much. Um, Anxiety in and of itself is pretty normal for the most part. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Anxiety is very helpful, especially for our teens. One, it motivates them. It helps them to study and pass an exam or to worry about their grades. It also can help to keep them focused and safe. So if they're in a peer situation and they need to navigate thinking about safety and making a sound, good, mature decision, anxiety helps with that. The only time anxiety can potentially become a challenge or a problem is when it impacts our daily life, our ability to maintain our daily tasks, or in a teen's case, to maintain their schoolwork. Um, If they're working a job, they have difficulty at that job, and it impacts their friendships, their relationships. And so, I just want to put that caveat in there because a lot of times people just use that word anxiety a lot. And there's, I would say there's kind of a spectrum. Anxiety is helpful to us. Hey, how you doing? Anxiety is helpful to us at a certain point, but at a certain point, there's an inverse correlation. And the more that the anxiety increases, the less helpful it becomes to us. But there are times when it is really helpful. Now, parents, how do you help? What do you do? This is a really burdensome question. I know you're worrying about that a lot. You want to make sure that you're doing what you can to be there and support your child without overstepping any bounds. I would say the first thing to remember is that 
anxiety, if your child is experiencing anxiety or stress or worry, that does not mean you're a failure. It does not mean that you've done anything wrong as a parent. When we get into clinical anxiety territory, right, when that's when that, it's that inverse correlation, it's no longer helpful to the person and it impacts their daily functioning, that's a clinical condition. And that has nothing to do with you as a parent. So I want you to be at ease at first when we think about this. The next thing you can do is listen. Listen with an open mind and acknowledging that if your child gives the honor of sharing what they're experiencing with you, to acknowledge that those feelings are real, to let them share that as if it's valid and true. And I know a lot of times as parents, we can be quick to want to solve it and maybe give a little pep talk of, oh no, you know, you're gonna be fine or it's just temporary, but really giving space and saying, yeah, I could see how you would feel pretty stressed about that. So being willing to validate and acknowledge really goes a long way. It also encourages your team to share more with you, to open up more in the future. So we wanna lay that good foundation. Next, I would say, stay calm. This is probably one of the most difficult ones, but the more that you can stay calm when your child is in the middle of being stressed and anxious, the better it is for everyone and them especially. They need you to be that st stable force to support them during a really stressful time. And teen years are difficult. There's a lot of changes. They're getting more independent. There's a lot of social things happening, a lot of things that you learn very rapidly in your teen years. The brain is changing and maturing. And so the more that you can even pretend to be calm, even when you're internally stressed and panicking and freaking out because you're worried about your child, the better it's gonna be for them. So I would say that is huge. Next, I would praise baby steps. So if you've created some type of plan, um, maybe your team is already in counseling or maybe they should be in counseling. If there's some type of plan they've created with their therapist or that you created at home of how to practice, maybe you're encouraging them to seek out stressful situations to sort of build up an endurance or tolerance for some anxiety. Praise the baby steps. When you're doing that, you want to praise when they take a step towards managing that anxiety. One, it gives them motivation to continue doing it. And two, it helps them feel loved. It helps them acknowledge that you see them and you recognize their hard work. In line with that, we have to avoid punishing. I think sometimes parents confuse anxiety symptoms with behavior or bad behavior or misbehavior. And that is going to be further from the case. So really, we have to make sure we're patient during these times, even though we're we're really eager for our kids to be further along potentially or seek healing more quickly. We have to really be patient and allow them and celebrate those baby steps when they happen because it really can take a huge effort to even accomplish something really small. Next, I would say model how you handle stress. So the more that you're able to be verbal about stressful situations in your own life, and talking about, you know, oh my gosh, this happened at work, and I don't know what the boss is going to do, and letting your children see how you handle those situations when you do get stressed out, when you model healthy ways to deal with stress, that's going to be very helpful for them too. They're learning from you even as teens, and even if they pretend like they don't or they deny learning from you, it really goes a long way. In line with that, I would say talk about positive emotions. What do I mean by that? I don't mean 
being overly happy and positive and saying, oh, just feel better and think positive and everything's going to be okay. I do not mean that at all. What I mean is um, naming positive emotions as well. Sometimes we can get in a funk when we're experiencing a lot of stress and anxiety and it's hard to notice what's going well and what's happening that's positive around us. And so again, it's kind of when you're able to be in tune and can tell that your team's experiencing some stress, you can start pointing out some positive things, not in a luxury way, but just sort of noticing, wow, isn't it a great day? Or wow, I'm so um, impressed by how you went on your own and handled that situation with your assignment with your teacher. Um, you, you just seem like you're really maturing. So find those positive moments. Um, you just seemed like you were really proud of yourself too. Did you, do you agree? Did you notice that? Seeking out those moments to acknowledge positive emotions can help them to reconnect with that emotion within themselves and counteract some of that anxiety. So that can be a little secret trick that you're doing on your end. Then I would say um, maintaining a routine is also very, very helpful. Um, consistency, structure, and routine is one thing I talk about a lot with parents that kids really thrive off of the nature of a routine, it provides stability, a sense of security. And so if you're able to keep that, but also with in mind, maybe building in some relaxation opportunities for your child. So if they're really in a stressful time, I think it's okay to be you know, a little flexible with it and maybe make that part of your normal family routine and schedule. And keeping in mind, making sure those relaxation opportunity, opportunities are something that your child finds relaxing, not just you, but more for the child experiencing anxiety. So keeping that in mind. Then I would say um, building in affection when possible. I know this is tough with teens, but whatever we can do, whether it's a high five, a good night hug, a rub on the back as you're walking by, anything to get that physical touch in just to affirm and let them know that you're loving them regardless of what's going on in their life. And then finally, I would say helping with the siblings. So if you are in a house with a lot of siblings, when somebody is going through a really stressful, anxious time, it can impact everyone in the family and everyone has to make adjustments and figure out how to accommodate the person experiencing anxiety, which can be really tough and stressful in a family. And there can be times where siblings complain or talk about how things are not fair and it's a fine line that you have to walk as a parent to one, we want to be able to affirm that sibling being upset and frustrating. We wanna validate that and say, yeah, I can see how you're frustrated, but also drawing a line and saying, you know, there are rules about how we talk about our siblings, right? So no name calling, no cutting down, no making fun, just because somebody's experiencing a situation. So there, there's that fine line you wanna maintain as an example within the family to help make things go as smoothly as possible. So those are some of my tips of what you can do to help the child experiencing anxiety. Let me know in the comments if you found that helpful. If you have any other ideas, things that you've tried, um, let us know. And if you're watching in the replay, push two. If you're watching live, push one. And we'll see you guys next time. So for our mental health tip, I thought we would do an anxiety-related tip. This can be very helpful for people of any age as long as you are capable of writing. It's very helpful uh, whether you're a teen or, a, or an adult or a younger child who can write, but I like to call it the brain dump. So anytime someone is feeling a lot of anxiety, 
getting those thoughts down onto a page and writing them down can be incredibly helpful. How do I know this? Well, this is from some research. Um, They have been able to find, they did a study with college students and they were able to have one group uh, take an exam with no intervention at all, just like they normally would. And they had another group write down their thoughts, whatever was on their mind, five minutes before they took an exam. And that second group who wrote down their thoughts before the exam scored significantly higher on their tests than those who did not. And so there's something about dumping whatever is in your running through your mind, even if right, you know, seconds before you take a test, whether it's what am I going to have for lunch or, oh my goodness, I hope I don't fail this test. Whatever those thoughts are just getting them down finds a way of freeing up space for your brain to retrieve that information that you've studied for before to be more prepared to access that information during the exam. And so I think this concept can be used pretty much for any situation, Um, whether you are studying for an exam or you are preparing for a job interview or you're just anxious about relatives coming to visit or a heavy duty conversation you're about to have with someone, whatever the situation might be, it can be really helpful to make sure you do that brain dump, get those random thoughts out of the page unfiltered, no sensory here, nobody else is going to see it, it's just between you and your mind and your anxiety. And making sure that you do that within, you know, five minutes or less of before whatever that activity is that you're anticipating and that you're worried about. And it can be a great way to just dump, get it all on the page so you can free up your brain to be more attentive and focused for whatever that activity is. I also think you can extend that a bit and you can even do it in a situation when you're not necessarily preparing for some type of large event. Maybe you're just anxious in general, and sometimes it's helpful to dump things on a page, sometimes not depending on how deep in the spiral you might get with your anxiety, how deep you go with it. It might not be helpful because it could be triggering in the sense that it starts a long train of thoughts. But if you feel like your anxiety is at a level where it's more or less manageable, then it might be helpful again to, if you're feeling really distracted and you feel like you're not able to achieve daily tasks, um, you know, cleaning your room, laundry, whatever it might be. And because the thoughts are really overwhelming, it might be helpful to just take a break, get some thoughts down onto a page, write it in a journal, and then get back to whatever the task you're doing. Um, So I would say give that a try for your mental wellness tip. You can help coach your child to do that as well and see if it's helpful to you. For our Q&A segment, I received a question that asked, what is the difference between Catholic mental health and regular mental health? So I thought I'd take a couple minutes to answer that for you. It's a very, it's a question that I get pretty frequently. So I kind of love to talk about it. The first thing I think the big difference between Catholic mental health and regular or secular, if you will, mental health is I think foundationally is the view of the person. Uh, Catholic Catholic teaching is that people are fundamentally good because we're created in the image and likeness of God. Um, And so we, the way a Catholic therapist would approach a person coming to them for counseling would be viewing them as good and as somebody who is capable of change. Now, I don't think every secular therapist views somebody as evil or not good. That is not the case. But, um, There are some forms of secular therapy where people might view um, 
people with a medical model or view them more connected to whatever the mental illness is or mental health struggle that they're going through. They might associate the person more directly with that, where I think the Catholic lens is a really beautiful way to say that you are not your problem. You are not whatever it is that you might be dealing with at that time. The second thing I think is the belief that healing and transformation is possible. This is a huge uh, motivation for me, especially in my therapy. And I think there's a lot of optimism because we know that healing ultimately comes from God and through Christ and that all things are possible through him. And so there's a great amount of hope in the therapeutic relationship because we know what is possible. Um, even within a clinical or therapeutic setting. And that belief hopefully gets transferred to my clients that they can sense that hope and know it's possible and are seeking that and therefore more motivated, more desired to find that healing. We know what's possible. We know all things are possible through him. And if you have a therapist who actually believes that it's possible, they're going to go to those lengths to help you find that healing. They're going to continue to search, even if it takes more time than what you're hoping it'll take. And then thirdly, I would say um, an investment in making sure your relationships work. For example, uh, like in a marriage, we are incredibly invested in making that type of relationship work. I would never advise you to pursue something that's damaging to your spiritual health, especially your marriage or something like that. So again, I'm going to be going very much out of my way above and beyond to help make that marriage work. One, because I know that it's possible. I've seen it happen. I've seen many people uh, work and save their relationships. And then two, um, again, because of that faith, because of that lens and that framework, let's help you out. If you're having problems in your marriage and you guys are not feeling connected and you want to feel close and you're kind of feeling hopeless and there's no way out because I'm in this Catholic marriage and now what do I do? Let me help you. Let, let's let help you figure this out because yeah, you've got that belief that I'm in this for the long haul and I need to figure out a solution. And so we're here to help you have that solution Um, or create a solution, or at least live a life that's going to be more manageable and hopefully more satisfying for you. And again, I think that's tied into the hope that healing and transformation is possible. And so the other piece to that that I mentioned a second ago is that, you know, I would do my best to not advise you to pursue something that's damaging to your mental health. So that would include divorce. I don't see a lot of reasons for divorce in my practice. And, you know, I'm talking within a typical context. I'm not talking about a situation when somebody's safety is in danger or anything like that. But in most mainstream type of situations, people can work it out. And then the last little caveat I'll add is a Catholic therapist or a therapist working from a Catholic perspective who has an understanding of the faith can also help with understanding of the nuances in spiritual life. So if you come into counseling, you can talk openly about your prayer life, about your faith, and there's not going to be a need for translation. Um, Your therapist is going to be able to engage in that conversation with you and help you sort of sort through those nuances and figure out, you know, what is of God, what isn't, or, you know, just really encouraging you to pray more or whatever the situation might be 
be needed based on your situation. So for example, I kind of have a random story about that. I had a client once a long time ago who started talking to me about God and um, how they were praying and God was talking to them. And so I said something along the lines of, you know, and what was it that God said to you? And she started to say what, what God said to her. And then she paused, she hesitated and she looked at me with fear in her eyes. And she said, Oh, I'm, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. And I thought it was a really interesting moment. So, you know, I, I sort of laughed and I said, Oh no, I, you know, I understand, you know, I, I genuinely want to know what you felt God was saying to you in that moment. And so there was, there's just kind of a, a nice, that was a nice moment for her because I think she was worried that I was, um, analyzing her, evaluating her, labeling her as, you know, having hallucinations and thinking that God was talking to her when imagining God was talking to her when he really wasn't or something like that. And so it's nice to have that space and that atmosphere of a therapist who automatically understands those little nuances and isn't going to automatically put you in this category of having a severe mental illness, like a hallucination, auditory hallucination um, in your prayer life. So those would say, those are things I would say, what are the big differences between Catholic mental health and regular mental health? You can be yourself. You know, you're going to be treated with dignity. Um, You can pray in the session if you'd like. Um, And then again, the hope and the belief that healing and transformation is possible. And again, uh, no recommendations that would be damaging to your spiritual health. So that ends our portion for the Q&A segment. And Hope you guys use those tools and find them helpful, and I can't wait to connect with you next time. If you have enjoyed this episode, you can find more Connecting Out Loud content on our Facebook and Instagram pages. As always, I appreciate each and every review, so if you can take some time to rate and review this show, I read each one and I love hearing from you. Be intentional and connect out loud. Connect out loud.